You're listening to a podcast from Turners Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. Okay, so what we've got here in this piece of scripture, we've got um, a rich guy who comes up to Jesus, acknowledges him as teacher, and asks him this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we don't know whether the rich guy was, we don't know what his approach to Jesus was, whether it was like a smug, because he knew he had kept all the commandments, whether it was a smug, oh, you know, what must I do, expecting Jesus to turn around and say, well, just keep up my commandments, or whether he was literally saying, look, what must I do? So he asks Jesus a simple question, and Jesus replies with a simple answer. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then you will inherit the kingdom of God. His analogy or his um, his description of how hard it was was about getting a camel through the eye of a needle. Now, a camel can grow to about two metres tall and weigh half a tonne. So getting through the eye of a needle, as you can tell, is pretty much impossible. I mean, even if you got it over the head, it would get stuck on the hump. <laughs> And there is there's actually a common misconception that there is or was a narrow gateway going into Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle, but there is no archaeological or historical evidence for that, so we can write that off now. So when he talks about being rich, what does he mean? Right, what's this? Can anyone see from where you're sitting? It's a two-pound coin. Almost half the entire population of the world live on less than this a day. You can't get much for £2 in this country. You probably can't even get 200 pence weeks anymore. At least 80% of humanity live on less than £7.50 a day. More than 80% of the world's population live in countries where income differentials are increasing and widening at a rapid rate. The globe's richest 1% own half the world's wealth. It's a lot of money made by not many people. So who are the rich? You know, if you took these people that own less than £2 a day, they would look at us and they would be astounded, amazed, Um, and perplexed on the wealth that we have and what we are able to do with it and how we waste it. You can almost compare it. Last year, a premiership footballer, on average, earned £2.4 million a year, which equates to £46,000 a week, which is obscene. However, you take these guys, half the population that are earning £2 a day, that's the same as them looking at us. So we look at these footballers and think, that is ludicrous that you're earning all that. Half the population look at us and think, that is ludicrous you're earning that. Um, And it just seems like the more we have, the more we want. And the more we have, the more we waste. So who are these rich people that Jesus is talking about? No, it's it's not... Alexis Sanchez on his £315,000 a week. It's us. We are the rich. 
Okay, I, when I first read this, I thought, yeah, yeah, well, that's right. You know, the rich should be doing more. They should be giving more away uh, to follow Jesus. They should be given to charity. They should be distributing their wealth a bit better. But no, he's not directing that necessarily at them. It's the whole notion of being rich is directed at us. So all of a sudden, this uh, passage takes a slightly different slant, doesn't it? It's not sort of talking in the abstract. It's talking sort of personally to us. But what's wrong with being rich, you may ask? After all, you've worked hard for your money. So what's wrong with changing your car every three years? What's wrong with the uh, odd holiday here and there? You deserve a better life, don't you? And you need a big house to do that. So I'm over here. This is wealth here. Not, I don't mean the musical equipment. God's kingdom's over here. So what's wrong with this handbag, this watch, this pair of shoes, that spa weekend? I mean, last week I, I worked 70 hours in the week. I didn't even see the children. All of, all of a sudden you're piling on this wealth and possessions, and house, and car, and it's weighing you down more and more. You owe it to yourself, though, don't you? I mean, you left work for five o'clock at five o'clock in the morning. You didn't get home till eight. Come on, God, give us a break. We've earned it. We deserve it. I don't rely on handouts. I don't need to rely on anyone to provide for me. I'm the maker of my own destiny. Facebook told me so. <laughs> so yeah, being rich is fine, hey? Yeah. But the problem with wealth is we equate it to security. We create a self-sufficient bubble that we hide away in with our big house and our burger alarm and our CCTV. We keep it clean and tidy. We put stuff in it that we can look at. We buy the biggest TV to watch other people live their lives on. We entertain ourselves with programming film derived from cartoons that are aimed at children. We're safe and secure. We're happy and content. We've taken the last promotion at work. Regardless of the longer hours and having to work every other Sunday. So we can buy bigger and better things. We don't need to rely on anyone or any other thing. We don't need handouts. We don't need God. We are God. Does it sound familiar to you? The unfortunate thing is, being as rich and wealthy as we are, and seeing that that wealth as our security independence, negates the need to be dependent on God for all or any of our provisions. But let's get, in, let's get to the crux of what Jesus is saying in this passage. I mean, is there a hidden meaning? A hidden agenda? What can we determine from what he's saying? Let's have a look. He is saying, it is hard to go to heaven when you are rich. So no, there's not, there's not any hidden agenda. I mean, sometimes you can uh, take a verse and you can pick it apart and there can be some deep, um, uh, a deeper understanding to it and a deeper meaning. But honestly, from the study I've done on this, 
It is what it says. It's in black and white. It's hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. Having reliance on money instead of God affects negatively our relationship with him. But there is hope. Later on in the passage, Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Note how he says possible. It is possible for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Possible. Not probable, possible. So bear that in mind. When Jesus looked at the man and he loved him, regardless of his wealth, he loved him. So what did the, what did the rich man do? He gave away all his possessions to follow Jesus. No. The rich man heard what Jesus had to say and went away sad. No matter how many times I read that, that part just amazes me. He was stood face to face with Jesus who gave him a direct instruction and he turned away and walked away sad. Now, Jesus may not be standing here in this room, but I'm sure there's been many occasions when we've heard from Jesus or heard from God and we've just walked away sad. Challenge, yes, but sad and unwanting to make that change that we need to make to pursue our relationship more meaningfully with our Saviour. I think the love and addiction to wealth and money is one of the biggest factors the Western world has um, in preventing, preventing ourselves to come to a more deep and meaningful relationship with God. But to be honest, it's, it's almost understandable because we are bombarded with consumerism and the tactics that advertisers employ. The internet knows what you've been searching for so it prompts you to buy at every turn. Everywhere you look, you're being told, buy this, it will make you happy. Eat this, wear this, drive this. It's not just a load of metal, it's a lifestyle. Go here, experience that, smell this, look like that. And at the heart of it, riches, wealth and money. Advertisers on, they don't have your best interests at heart, they just want money. You know... A car is a lump of metal. It's not a lifestyle. It would get you from A to B. Probably not as quicker or as quick as any other car because you have to stick by the speed limit. Um, but I need to be happy. I need to be safe. I need to be content. And money can do that for me. Do not believe the lie. If you look at our lives in a super simplistic way, we live in a house made of brick, stone, a bit of sand, cement, timber, and a bit of land, a bit of dirt that we call our own. We drive around in big bits, of, big bits of metal, spending the majority of our waking time at work doing stuff so we can buy bigger and better things. All of this time trying to, trying to squeeze in five minutes here for a prayer, Five minutes there to read the Bible. Maybe a chance um, 
once in a while to show some hospitality to a friend or a neighbour. But your, your God life balance is fine though, isn't it? After all, you've, you've, you've got enough God, surely, but you haven't got enough stuff. I feel another issue which is detrimental to our view of wealth is how society teaches us to view it and how society judges us concerning our wealth. The more money you have, the more respect you're given. I've done it myself. I do it myself. It's ludicrous. But we as Christians shouldn't be subject to these rules. Our aim should be to counter culture's backward belief system, to throw away the consumerist, materialistic rule book. So if we look in the Bible, what are the precedents for, um, for this attitude, apart from, the, uh, apart from the scripture we've read? In Matthew 6, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will, will be also. And what precedent do we see in the Bible concerning a rich man coming to a deep and meaningful relationship with God? If we read on the New Testament, Luke chapter 19 we discover a guy called Zacchaeus. And it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's great, isn't it? It's great. Look at Zacchaeus. He he was probably rich beyond his means. And there he is, climbing a tree to see Jesus. And when Jesus asked him, come down, what did he do? Um, Yeah, in a minute, you know, I'm struggling getting down from this sycamore fig tree or whatever it was. No, he jumped down, jumped down straight away out of that tree. And after, potentially before or after his meeting with Jesus, <coughs> he just gave it all away. He turned his back on wealth and everything and all the trappings of it. Wiped his hands clean of it. I don't need this anymore. I'm going to follow the true one living king. No questions asked. So what's our attitude like? Is our attitude like that? Are we torn between God and possessions? Are we like a little bit here? Are we like, well, I do do like this. No. 
I do like this car. I do, you know, I keep looking back to the kingdom of God. And when the kingdom of God's over here, Jesus saying, come to me. I've got eternal riches and treasures stored up for you in heaven. Not just in heaven, but on the earth now. I've got blessings for you that you could not imagine. And you're over here like, yeah, but the, but the car... But the hat, you know, what will the next door think? Oh, no, I'm not really not sure, you know, or you bet maybe sitting in the middle, sitting on the fence. All sitting on the fence will give you splinters. What's good about Zacchaeus, he immediately became available. Immediately became available for God. Immediately became available for Jesus. He immediately said, "Jesus, this is what you want. You got it. It's gone." How available are we in our lifestyles, and how available are we to God and His calling on our lives? Not just in money. Where do we draw the line at? How are we going to be available and willing to God or, and to God's purposes? <coughs> Would you give half your possessions away if God asked? Would you give up your job? Would you end the relationship? Would you give your car away, move home, give up alcohol, invite that person over for dinner? Sorry, Nick, I didn't mean to look at you. Drop a grudge, forgive a neighbour, volunteer for something. How available are we for God and his call on our lives? But our lives have been skewed by Western culture and the society that we live in. It's been skewed to the horizontal and the inward as opposed to the vertical and outward. If your heart is burning passionately for God, I would suggest it's probably slightly easier. Or definitely slightly easier than if you're half-hearted, if your faith is half-hearted. I mean, how would you describe your faith right now? If you had to put it down in words, indifferent, apathetic, unenthusiastic, tepid, emotionless, passionless, or is it burning, passionate, deep-seated, wholehearted, strong, earnest, uncontrollable? Because for each one of us, this passage may not be about riches and wealth. Because I don't think, personally, it's necessarily having money that is the issue. But it was for the rich man, and it was for Zacchaeus. And it was more so for the rich man, because he was unwilling to do whatever it took to gain eternal salvation with Christ. So it may be another obstacle that is preventing you having a fulfilled relationship with our Saviour. But the promise is God has treasures awaiting us, not only in the kingdom to come, but now. He has blessings untold for us. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come. Eternal life. 
No one gives up everything for, for God and then looks back and says, well, it wasn't really worth it, was it? Do they? Guys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? God wants to bless us, both in this life and the next life. And his discipline for us is done out of love. I was listening to the song Oceans, and it says one of the lines says, you never fail me, you won't start now. I think it's quite apt that I lost the last page of my notes. You may think so, anyway. (laughs) If you don't know this God I'm talking about now, a God that people would potentially work their behinds off for 40, 50, 60 years and just be willing to throw it all away, and say, look, God, if, th- if that's what you want, I'm, I'm in. You may not know that, God. And I beg you and earnestly yearn for you to discover that, God, and do whatever it takes. Because if you want to get away from the rat race, the pressure, the consumerism, the materialism, the uh, keeping up with next door ism. This is the uh, biggest and easiest way to, not easiest, biggest way and best way to do it. If you can refocus your mind and your life and your heart not to be caged like society is or a slave to money, then this is all on offer to you today. And I would compel you not to leave this room until you have looked upwards to our God on your hands and knees and say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know more of you. I want this. I want what has just been described. I want the treasures I want the treasures in heaven. I want the promises you have for our lives whilst on earth. I think we need to spend some time with God on our own right now. And if you dare, because it's daring, say to God, God, What is my obstacle? Last week, Mark spoke about not being an obstacle to others um, to come into a knowing relationship with God. Today, we're talking about not preventing ourselves or being an obstacle to ourselves to not having a deeper, meaningful relationship with our God. So we'll spend a little bit of quiet time. Just say to God, what is it for me? There's something for everyone, I guarantee. What is it for me? What is it? What am I doing or what 
it's in my life that is an obstacle to me to coming to know you as fully as I need to. Ask God to point that out in your life and then ask him, well, if that's what it is, what do I need to do about it? And be receptive to hearing from him. Let's just spend a couple of minutes in quiet. I'll pray and then uh, we'll just have a bit of quiet time.